0: How are you this morning? Amen. See those children go into their classrooms. Pray for our children. It's a tough world out there. Our Sunday school teachers are giving them the word, Amen. It's only a short time, but the word is powerful enough to override all the lies of this world. Amen. We're in Philippians, we're in chapter 3, we're seeing the Apostle Paul in chains, he's lost his liberty, he's under house arrest, he's being moved around from place to place to give an account for his faith, God is using him to bring the gospel to uh, the leadership that's in the Roman world at this time, and Paul has not lost his joy, he's overflowing with love for the churches, we're seeing him In tough moments, maintain his joy. And that's the lesson of the book of Philippians, the epistle of joy. That no matter what's going on in your life today, there's no reason you can't have the joy of the Lord. You can't leave with a smile on your face. You can't have hope in your heart. Amen. So I don't know what you came dragging in today. But listen, God wants to set you free by the time you leave. He wants to give you the peace of God that passes all understanding. How did Paul maintain his joy? Well, he shows us. And we've been going through the text meticulously. I'm going to read verses 12 through 16 of chapter 3. Let's bow our heads, thank God for the word, and we'll jump in. Father, today we thank you, Lord, for your living word. Father, this is not a a book to us, a history lesson, uh, some wise sayings. It's not self-help. This is your living, breathing word, Lord God, and we ask you that by the Holy Spirit that you prepare the good ground of our hearts to receive what comes forth from the pulpit today, Lord, that it would get past our minds and in our hearts and in our spirits so that we could be changed from the inside out, and that on Monday we could live what we learned here today and that it would change us. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, the apostle Paul speaking, he says this, Not that I have already obtained or grasped it, all or have already become perfect, but I press on if I may also take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are Mature or perfect, some of your translations are going to say. Therefore, all who are perfect, let us have this attitude. If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. However, let's keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. So there's so many moving parts in here. I'm going to jump right in. Verse 12, Paul says this, Not that I have already grasped it or not that I've already obtained it. Paul was humble. How many, how many feel like the Apostle Paul, uh, when you hear about what he's accomplished and what he's done, feel like, you know, us as individuals will never measure up to that? Anyone? I want to I see the person who thinks, yeah, I can outdo the Apostle Paul. You wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You went on four missionary journeys. You evangelized the known Gentile world. I mean, this is a hard act to follow, right? And Paul's here basically, look look what he says here. You know, not that I've already obtained it, not that I've already grasped it or have become perfect. Paul is saying, I have not yet arrived. And if a guy who on paper and, and in principle and in action can outdo most of us and maybe all of us put together for him to say, I haven't arrived yet, that's trying to get a point across to each of us today. None of us have arrived yet. None of us have, uh, you know, walked in perfection or he says, I've not obtained it. You you hear that word perfection and we're going to unpack that in just a little bit. But it's healthy of us. It's healthy for us to think of ourselves in this way that I haven't arrived yet. It's really healthy and it's healthy for us to come out of the burden to think that we have to be somehow some way perfect and somehow some way you know have no flaws or no visible failures that we have to cover those things up from one another and even from God. What a release it is to, in all our imperfection to just come before him and be accepted by God, amen, to come before him with our brokenness and our sinfulness and our weakness and just to, you know, uh, God's like, hey, I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you. Come on this morning, amen. So Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. None of us have arrived. The moment we think we've arrived, that's when the trouble begins. Did you ever meet somebody who thinks, hey, man, I got it going on. Watch this. Oh, you know, and they just want to show off and show everybody up and talk about, uh, you know, all the things they've accomplished. I did this and I did that and I, I, I. And you find out they got eye trouble. Yeah. And you know what? People who think, you know, well, I have arrived and I am accomplished and I've attained perfection. I've mastered this Christianity thing. You know what? Uh, the, per- the person who is in that spot's in a dangerous spot because y- we stop learning when we think we know it all. We stop growing when we think we know it all. We stop producing fruit when we think we've arrived. And here's Paul saying, I've not arrived. I'm not perfect, you know, and I, and I want you to know it. And I want you to know it's a universal truth so that we can all accept it about ourselves and we can get on with this thing that God's called us to do. Someone say amen. Now, when you see that word in Scripture, if your translation says, you know, I'm not already become perfect, down in verse 15, we're going to see another mention of perfection. The truth is that, you know, if we're being honest in church today, when you hear that word perfect, it should freak you out a little bit. Anybody? Yeah, let me try this side over here. You know, if God says you got to be perfect, if God says, you, does that freak you out a little bit? Amen. I mean, l- listen, that make everything in us come and glued. You know what? Because the truth is we don't like to admit it in public, but none of us are perfect. You know, it's like, what, you know, we can try and put a little show on, and I'm not saying that you should come out and just be like, let your hair down and be crazy like you are at home. You know, how many, you know, realize we act a little different at home than we do in public? It should be a little different, amen? You know what's going on in your house? There's screaming, there's children running, there's glasses breaking, there's fighting going, rawr, 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 they're yelling at each other, and the phone rings, hello, Leonardi residence. You know, none of us are perfect. We don't like to pull the veil back. We don't like to let people look in our closets. But Paul's saying, I've not arrived. And you know what? Uh, I'm not even pretending that I've arrived. And when we hear that word perfect, it freaks us out because, God, I can't be perfect. If it takes perfection to be saved, I'm I'm done. I'm lost. I'm not going to make the cut. Now, I want to say something. Positionally, say positionally. It's not even a word. It's a theological word that we made up. Positionally, in Christ, we are perfect. Turn to neighbor and say, man, you look perfect. Come on, tell her, Lou, she looks perfect today. Some of the married couples, that's the first compliment you gave each other in a month. You know what, positionally, that's a theological word for in Christ, we are perfect. Why? Because God doesn't look at us and all of our sins. No, he's forgiven our sins. God doesn't look down and see our flaws and our imperfections. He he doesn't see what we are now. He sees what he's making us into. When he looks at Rick, he looks at at Rick, not at all the messed up, broken parts of Rick. He looks at Rick covered in the blood of Jesus, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. And he looks at me and he says, hey, you're perfect. You're forgiven. You're spotless and blameless in my sight. Woo. So sometimes you just have to think, hey, in Christ, I'm perfect. And to remain in Christ. But the truth is, in reality, in the real world, we are all works in progress. Amen. Well, you know, my positional uh, perfection is has, uh, has you know, clashing with my imperfections in the flesh. Well, that's because God is working on us. You know, the best way to understand that we're works in progress is to visualize a building that's under construction. If you've ever seen a building, maybe in the inner city, it's in a neighborhood where, you know, there are these old style houses with these, you know, beautiful roofs and all this stuff. And somebody decided to tear it down and build it back up and restore and renovate it. Have you ever seen such a thing? and the scaffolding all around it, and you know what, in that condition, you, you wouldn't stop by a building like that, that's all ripped and torn apart, and shingles, and dumpsters, and siding, and sit down and go, oh, I'm going to eat my lunch here, and look at this. No, because why, it's ugly, it's chaos, it's, you know, I mean, you, you, you got parts that, you know, are missing, and walls that are being torn down, and all of these things, it's under construction, Sometimes we look at our lives and think, well, I should be perfect. And God says, no, you're under construction. You're not perfect yet. I'm not done with you. I'm working on you, amen. I'm tearing and stripping down. We might have to get down to the bare bones, (laughs) down to the studs, down to the framing. Fix that crooked foundation. But God's working on us, and we're works in progress. So Paul says, I haven't arrived. I haven't obtained it. I'm not perfect, I'm a work in progress. Now, here's the problem with us being works in progress and us being unfinished, is that a lot of us fall into the snare of perfectionism. And if you're a perfectionist today, uh, it's not a good thing, it's not an admirable thing, it's something that God needs to deliver us from. Perfectionism uh, flies in the face of God and it almost says that, hey, I want to be God because only God is perfect. For us to say, I want to do it perfect, I want no flaws, no failure, no glitches, everything has to be perfect, you you know, that's not us. We are imperfect people in sinful bodies, and we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but we're never going to be perfect. Now, I can see some people wilting up on me because, you know, perfectionism is something that a lot of us hold on to. Now, I'm not saying to be sloppy and to do things half-hearted and not to do a good job. No, we're, we're going to get to that. But perfectionism is a snare. It will steal your joy. It will sabotage your spiritual growth. And I'll tell you why. Because perfectionists allow themselves to be overcome with self-doubt and self-criticism. They're insecure. They have this constant level of frustration because they never do anything up to their own standard. They become unwilling to take risks because risks could spell failure. They become impossible to work with because they spend all this time and energy trying to achieve the unachievable, trying to achieve a perfection that only God can achieve. In the end, they're never happy, and they make everyone else around them unhappy. Gary Ingrid, in his book, A Call to Excellence, Shows the countless studies uh, prove that perfectionism impairs productivity, creates emotional stress, and even destroys health. You know, some of us are unhealthy because we're always frustrated, because we're always upset, because everything around us is not perfect, and we have not allowed ourselves to have joy until we reach that sense of perfection that we are tricked into thinking we can attain. Well, I know it's quiet this morning, but this is helping somebody, Amen you know, Gary Ingrid says in that book, he says, we have this sinner or saint mentality. It's one or the other. It's a syndrome where, you know, we see partial success as total failure. Well, it's not perfect. It's a failure. And our self-esteem hinges on an achievement that is perfect. And if it's not perfect, then we don't feel good about ourselves. Now, if this is you today and, and the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on that area, I'm praying today that God would deliver you from perfectionism. Amen. If you're caught in the snare of perfectionism today, may the Lord deliver you out from under the crushing weight of trying to achieve the unachievable. May he release you from the yoke of bondage into that easy yoke that he wants to put on us where we find complete acceptance in him. A better performance from us is not going to make us more accepted in the beloved. A better performance for us is not going to make God like us any better. He's already loved us as much as he could with his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So you are accepted today. You don't have to be perfect. You and I need to put that perfectionism aside. Paul said, you know, I'm not perfect. I haven't obtained it. Uh, You know, and I And I want to be taking hold for the things I've been taking hold of in Christ. There's so much in here. But he says, I press on. Do you get that in there? I press on. What's he talking about? He's talking about I I move forward. I press on. So I'm not perfect, but I'm not letting my imperfections and my weaknesses and all these things cause me to quit. I'm going to press on. I'm going to move forward. You know, it's like this. We have to do our best and trust him for the rest. Do our best. Do your, That's all God's asking from you is your best, not perfection. Not, don't ever do that again. Don't ever make a mistake again. You know, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how, you know, it, sometimes you think, well, the older I get, I, sh- I should be getting it together by now, right? Anybody out there, Gucci, you think, you know, at this age, I should probably have it, you know, together. Can I tell you about some of my mistakes? Who would like to hear about a mistake I just made? <laughs> Here. <laughs> I told first service, so the cat's out of the bag. But do do you know the other night was the coldest night we had in five years? You know that coldest night? What did it get down to, like minus negative eight? Why you got to be so negative? Can't you just say No. It got down. It was the coldest night in five years. Guess who left the door open to the house? No, it was me. You see a man get hit with a Bible right there. I left the door. I went to let my sons in. It was late at night. I I, I was supposed to close the door and push it. I I obviously didn't do it right because when I woke up in the morning, the door was open on the coldest night in five years. The heat did not kick on on my first floor. The floor was so cold it was burning my feet. (laughs) I got a plumber coming over. Um But you would think, you know, at at 53, I'd be able to, you know, figure out how to close the door on the coldest night in five years. You know, if it was summertime, no big deal. But it seems like we make these mistakes. I mean, who can't close the door? I mean, my door's a little special. You got to push it, it's got to click, you got to say a few magic words, spin around. But still, I know the routine and I blew it. I made a mistake. And the thing is, like, we have to give ourselves a break sometimes because, you know, we, we are flawed and we do make mistakes and we have, to, we have to just kind of cut ourselves a little slack sometimes. Who would agree that, you know, the person who's hardest on you is you? Sometimes we're our own worst gra- Everybody else is like, you know, hey, man, I forgive you. Hey, that's the past. You know, you're great. I love you. I like being around you. No, I don't like me. I'm not a fan. I'm not. You no, know, if you only knew, you know, I'm messed up. I'm broken. I did this back then. I did that. If you, oh, man, if you just knew you wouldn't. I don't measure up. I can't get it right. I can't even close the door anymore. It's so easy to be down on ourselves. It's so easy to let perfectionism just crush us with this weight of achieving the unachievable. But yet, Paul says, no, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. I haven't laid hold of it, but I press on. So the message today is no matter what you're going through, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how much you feel like quitting, don't quit. Press on. Amen. Hold on to God. Hold on to his love. Hold on to his forgiveness. Even if you don't forgive yourself or nobody else forgives you. You ever notice that? God says, I forgive you. And the other people are going, we don't forgive you. We're going to remind you all the time. Amen. You did this. You did that. You did this. Oh, get away from those people. But we've, we've got to cut ourselves a break. Paul continues. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of. Did you hear that? God grabbed the apostle Paul for a reason. He was laid hold of, amen? That I, and Paul says, I want to lay hold of what I was laid hold for. I want to accomplish the purpose of God in my life because he saved me for a reason. Look, and he saved you for a reason, and he grabbed hold of you for a reason, and he pulled you out of the muck and the mire of sin. Do you know when Paul got called, he was on his way to kill Christians, and God knocked him to the ground, and he blinded him, and he called him, and he picked him up, and he took Saul off the ground, and he turned him, to the apostle paul amen you got a call on your life too you need to lay hold of it today you need to lay hold and grab hold of it because there's a reason god saved you there's a reason god pulled you out there's a reason you're here today hearing this because god has a purpose for you now this is not tony robbins this is not self-help this is not rah rah shish goombah, open your wallet no this is God's word, amen? You know, sometimes we're even afraid to get a little bit excited about it. Well, I don't know. Do I, do I really have hope? Is there potential? Is it, you know, I mean, yeah. Faith, stir up your faith. Look what God's done in our lives. Look how he saved us. Look how he's forgiven us. Look how he's gifted us. Come on today. Mm. Not perfectionism, but we press on ahead. We do our best and trust God for the rest. We lay hold of, you know, we grab what God pulled us out to grab and, 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 to, and to pursue his call in our life. It's never been about perfection. It's about reaching our God-given potential, our God-ordained calling. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul says, I want your eyes to open so you could see the hope you have in Jesus Christ and that he's called you for a purpose. And it's not perfectionism. It's to do your very best and to serve the king while getting to know the king. So important for us to understand what Paul's motivation is here. He, he's not motivated to, you know, to accomplish things for himself, although he was very accomplished. He's accomplished, he's excited about doing God's will for his life. You know, and there's no reason that any of us sitting here today cannot be excited about doing God's will for our life. Amen. You got a call on your life. Amen. God laid hold of us for a reason, and he, he doesn't want us to miss our purpose in life. Verse 13 reveals a wisdom key here that Paul uses to reach his potential. There's a lot of people that never reach their potential in life. There's a lot of people that waste their gifts. Have you, have you known people maybe more skilled than you, more gifted than you, that accomplish nothing? Come on, let, I'm, we're not being judgmental. We're just saying, you know, there's people that have all these gifts. And I mean, they come out of the box, they come out of high school, they, they got, you know, this and that, and the grades, and all of a sudden, and that, you know, at the class reunion, they, they didn't do anything except apparently eat everything in sight. So <laughs> I don't go to them class reunions. You know, and we see people all the time that waste their potential. What's the key? Uh, to maximizing it. What's the key to reaching for it? Paul gives us a wisdom key in verse 13. He says, I don't regard myself, brothers and sisters, I don't regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but this one thing I do, listen, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call. So the pressing on we got, but we got to get this part here. He, what did he do? He, he doesn't focus on the past. He forgets the past. Somebody's got to get that today. Somebody's got to grab hold of this today because some of us are stuck in the past and they're keeping us from our present. We let go of the past. We focus on what God's put right in front of us today and begin to do that because God has a future for us, amen? Paul lets go of the past. He's pressing ahead, amen? I, I forget the past and what lies behind, amen? Why are we stuck in the past? There's nothing more sad than seeing a person stuck in the past. Do yeah. you know they're 60 years old? They're talking about that play. When on the football team they snapped the ball of me and, and I ran 78 yards and And everybody in the family's like, oh. Did I ever tell you the story? Yes. Stuck in the past, a broken record, rehearsing the the things they accomplished. And look, look, I'm not trying to to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to look. Some of the stuff we did in our youth, we probably should tell the story. Amen. But if that's all that ever happened and and we got nothing in the present and we got no hope in the future, then we're stuck in the past. Amen. And we got to let the past go and we got to focus on the future. And the best way I've ever heard this explained is you're not going to get too far driving if all you do is look in the rearview mirror. If you're stuck in the past, then you're driving like this. You're looking in that rearview mirror. And you know what? Very soon, <laughs> you're going to collide with what's in front of you, amen? You're going to crash into your present, and, and, and you, you might disrupt your future even if you crash bad enough. But we've got to stop driving, looking in the rearview mirror. Your past, if you're a Christian, your past is forgiven. It's under the blood of the Lamb. It is in God's sea of forgetfulness. God says he remembers our sin no more, amen? Well, well, what about I got a messy past? I got a broken past. Ask God to forgive you. You know, make amends to whoever you can. If you hurt somebody, I've met people, you know, and just, you know, apologize to them. That time in high school, I fit you in your locker. I, I never did that, but you, it's not what the police report says, but apologize. Ask forgiveness, receive forgiveness from God, and then cut that thing loose and let it go. God doesn't remember it. Why should we? Hey, God, you remember that time when I did? No, I don't remember that. I've forgiven that. It's gone. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. It's as far as the east is from the west. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember it. Why are we bringing up things that God doesn't want to remember? Why do we remember it? Why do we let the enemy remind us of it? When people say to you, oh, you do this and you you, I, all my aunts used to say, oh, you were bad when you were little. But you're still bad. But you know what? The thing is like, why do people remind you of the things you... Let it go. Be free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. So this, that's the wisdom key there. He forgets the past. He focuses on the present, and he walks into God's future for his life. And this is exactly what we need to do. Verse 14 shows us exactly how Paul does this. He says, I press toward the goal of the prize... Uh, the calling and Christ. So there's a pressing there. It's a persistent focus. And we talked about that a little bit, but uh, calibrate your life and use your time and your energy pressing into the things of God, not not staying stuck in the past. Be engaged with what God has for you in the now. Amen. Uh, you have to have a goal. You have to you have to see the prize. I love this. You know, when he talks about the prize, you say, well, what's the prize? Is it a big treasure chest of, you know, stuff or is it like land in heaven? You know, I'm going to no the the prize is Jesus himself. Amen. Church, the prize is Jesus. <laughs> well, there ain't nobody going to heaven going, you know, where, where, where's the big buildings? Where's the streets of gold? Can you take me on a tour? No, everybody who shows up there is going to want to see one person. They're going to want to see Jesus. Amen. Because Jesus is the prize. <laughs> now, people are going, well, that, that's not the prize I wanted. Then you ain't saved. That's the prize I want. Amen. I want to see Jesus. Mm. So we forget the past. We focus on the present. We move into God's future for our life. We press towards the that goal, that prize, who is Jesus himself, and we accomplish the call of God in our life. Verse 14 is so powerful. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, just let that in your spirit. That's the wisdom key that allowed Paul to reach his potential. Look, if anybody had a past to forget, it was Paul. Paul killed Christians. Paul dragged them screaming out of their house. Paul held their coats while they martyred Stephen and beat him to death with stones. If anyone could feel guilty, broken, re- resentful, no. Paul let it all go. Look, if he could let it go, we could let it go. And press on in Jesus, amen? Verse 15, again, mentions that word that kind of freaks us out. It talks about perfection. Therefore, all you who are perfect, some translations say mature, probably a better rendering. We're going to look at that in a minute. Let, let's have this attitude. Say attitude. Anybody got an attitude? Yeah, the people who do ain't, ain't saying anything right now. All of us got an attitude. Let us have this attitude. If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. So let's take a look at that here. Again, we hear that word perfection. It's in verse 12. It's in verse 15. Uh, A better translation of that word is mature. Now, that's a good thing for us. We're going to look at the Greek in a minute. But understand, it's really not perfection in the sense that we know perfection. That's what freaks us out. Because if we think in here, I got to be perfect to be saved. I got to be perfect to be used by God. I'm disqualified. The truth is, mature is a better definition. Because none of us can be perfect, but all of us can hope to be mature someday. Anybody hope to grow up someday? Amen. Still time. But all of us can hope to be mature. In fact, most of us are more mature than we give ourselves credit for. You know, there's always that childlike heart that we should maintain. And it's okay to have fun and laugh and watch cartoons and eat a bowl of cereal once in a while. Bill, amen. When Pastor Mike and I were in Bible school, all the kids in the neighborhood would come to the, the lounge on Saturday and hang out with us. And we'd take a whole bowl of Captain Crunch, pour it in a bowl, get a spoon or a ladle, and just... Watch cartoons, amen? Ah, the future pastors of America. You got to know how to have fun. You got to know how to, you know, enjoy life. But you know what? We have to become mature at some point. And believe it or not, we did. And that's a work of the Lord. But we can't hope to be perfect. We can't hope to be mature. Now, both of those words, perfect, are Greek words. The word teleo and teleos. And both of them mean complete grown in character, mentally and morally mature. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in each of us. He's making us complete. He's cutting off the past. He's healing the wounds. He's restoring us. So what? That we grow in character, that mentally, morally, and spiritually, we become mature children of God. All of us can be that. We can't be perfect, but we can be mature. And so, you know, it's something that we really have to set as a goal. God, you know, grow me up. Make me a spiritual adult. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. Come on, have fun with this. Grow up. Yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in us. Amen? Some of you enjoying this too much. Now, verse 15 continues here. It says, therefore, all who are perfect or mature, let us have this attitude. And we mentioned attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, say different. Paul says, let us have this attitude. But if you have a different attitude, I, the apostle Paul, will corner you, beat you with the Bible, make you see it my way, and not let up on you until you say uncle. Is that what your Bible says? No, it says, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. Some people just lost a job. Well, it's my job to make everybody to see things my way and think. and, And, you know, if I see something that's unbiblical or someone has a wrong attitude, then I'm the, you know, I'm the Holy Spirit bouncer and I have... You know what I learned a long time ago? That you can't make a person think rightly if they're unwilling. There's an old expression that says a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You might get them to grudgingly say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but they didn't, that ain't saving them. Well, you're right. Then they never want to talk to you again. Sometimes we just got to pray for people. That, you say, Pastor, you come across people that are wrong all the time. Do you jump on every one of them and make them think right? Not a lot of time. There's times the Holy Spirit, you know, I hear something and it's unbiblical, it's worldly, and, and I'm about to, ah, and the Holy Spirit's like, shh. We got to do a lot more of this and a lot less of this. Amen. Those of you who have children know this. You can only say something so many times in so many different ways. Some of us are really creative. We come up with stories and different angles and personal <laughs> illustrations. Oh, yeah. But you know what your kids are hearing? <laughs> Channel 13. <laughs> are you done yet? Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. What would you think? Didn't hear a thing you said. So then what do we do? That person at work that you've witnessed to, that you, you, know, you, you share, you invite to church, and they're just not hearing you anymore. A lot more of this. I found out when my words cease to have effect, my prayers have a great effect. Amen. Amen. Begin to pray and let's talk. But, you know, it's not our job to straighten everyone out that thinks incorrectly. There's some people even who are in the church that I'm responsible for as a shepherd that I go to correct them. There's messed up stuff in their life. I know it and they don't think I know it. And the Lord hasn't released me to talk to them yet. You know why? Because they are not teachable. I'm not picking on young people, but some of you young people, you got to realize this is 53 years of battle scars and wounds and, and failure and success and all these things. You could learn something from the older Christians who have fought the good fight for decades. And I know I was full of testosterone at one time too and thought I knew everything, only to discover I didn't know anything. So there's sometimes you don't get to correct someone even as a leader with spiritual authority because they're not teachable. And I know I'd be casting my pearls before swine. I know that they, you know, they're not going to, there's, (laughs) I've been counseling for over 30 years. There there are people that whatever you tell them to do, they do the opposite. They'll sit in your office. Yep, you're right. Yep, you're right. Go right out the door and do the opposite. I'm thinking to tell them to do the wrong thing. You should rob a gas station. You should go leave your wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to go home and be a good husband. It's just unbelievable. Come on. It- but sometimes we need to be silent. Why? Because Paul lays this principle out here. He's saying, you know, um, if you have a different attitude or a wrong attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. Oh, this is a comforting thing. Yes, we have to stand in the gap. Yes, we have to tell the truth. Yes, we have to correct those that we love and that are under our covering. But in the end, it's God's job to convince them to change their minds, to change their heart, and to change their attitude. Someone say amen in the house of God. Well, let's bring this in for landing here. Uh, It says uh, basically in 16, however, let us keep living, or it could be translated following the line. However, let us keep following following the line by that same standard to which we have attained. So uh, Paul is saying in all the things that we do, yes, we're forgiven. We shouldn't be perfectionist. None of us have arrived yet. We keep pressing. Uh, we, there's a there's a formula to press in that we press in. We look at the goal. We reach for the prize. We answer the call. But in all these things, you know, we have to understand that we're not there yet, but we're going to just keep pressing into God. And, and, and somehow, some way God's going to get us across the finish line into his arms, and he's going to write the final chapter in each of our lives, and it's going to be a beautiful ending because of his grace. Amen. So, we got to change those attitudes that we have, and uh, we, we got to push after him, and we got to keep the standard. And that's what it says here living the standard. What, what would the standard be? Well, uh, the scripture tells us to, to keep the commandments of Jesus and to. Keep the apostles' doctrine. Here's the standard for every New Testament Christian. This is what they did in the early church. It says in Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What was that? and fellowshipping and in breaking of bread and in prayer. So the apostles' doctrine was the basic doctrines of the New Testament seen in, uh, you know, Jesus' commands and the, the Pauline epistles, all the stuff that we know we should be doing. If you sat in church any length of time, you know there's certain things we should be doing. And we should fellowship and we should break bread. What does that mean? We should fellowship together. We should eat together. We should be the family of God. Not just in name, but in practice. In fellowship, and breaking bread, and and prayer. So we need to be a praying church. We need to be a church that fellowships together, to strengthen those bonds. We need to be doing the commandments of Jesus and the apostles' doctrine. Really simple to be a Christian. Now, will the whole world, everything internally and externally, attack you when you try and do that? Absolutely. But I got good news for you today. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. And God will keep you by his power and perfect you. You don't have to be perfect. You're under construction, and he is going to complete what he started in your life. Let's bow our heads today. Lord, we thank you for Philippians chapter 3. We thank you for all of these uh, principles and the release, Lord, that we don't have to force people to think the right things, and we don't have to be perfect, and we can admit that we haven't arrived If Paul hasn't arrived in the natural, in the flesh, then neither have we. We can rest positionally being perfect in your sight, and we can allow the Holy Spirit to continue the work in us. And while each of us do that, I pray, Lord, that we would have the peace of God, that we would enjoy fellowshipping with one another, and that we would reach out to those in the world that are hurt and lost and broken, and we would be your hands and feet to pull them out of the muck and the mire into the light so that they can enjoy what we enjoy. We ask it in Jesus' name, and the church said Amen, amen.